This is Residence 104.4 FM. Flipping marvellous. I'm Nick Hennigan and welcome to another episode of Literary London, an orgy of, well, literature in London. Um, and um, this time, not only are we doing it on the radio, my loves, but we're actually in vision as well. Yes, if you're listening in stereo, you'll you'll be able to you'll be able to just see that. I haven't got me I haven't got me um me performing shirt on tonight. Though. I've just got me you know a nice plain blue number. But uh, it's uh, yes, we're on YouTube at the Maverick Theatre Company YouTube video, um, uh, and of course, as always, it'll be on the podcast at uh, Maverick Theatre Company and LondonLiteraryPubCrawl.com. Um, and it's a brilliant. I'm really looking forward to this afternoon for this session, as it were, because I'm joined by Bonnie McBird. Hello, Bonnie. Hello, Nick. Well, I, mean, I don't really know where to start because, you, you, I mean, you're a phenomenon. And you, you're, we're actually talking specifically about a, a Sherlock Holmes story, uh, an adventure. Uh, uh, it's a book called The Three Locks. And if you listen in stereo, you'll be able to see that as well. There we go. The, uh, the cover there, um, The Three Locks, which is a Sherlock Holmes adventure. Um, and uh, I've also got here another one, uh, The Devil's Jewel, The Devil's Jew. But in fact, it's the three locks, which is the new book that we're talking about uh, this afternoon. So, but and you're an American. I am. <laughs> and I noticed uh, writing about Sherlock Holmes, that, that yeah. must be quite interesting. Well, I don't, I don't know. It's, it, it's pretty natural. I've fallen in love with him at age 10. So I've been kind of immersed for a long time. And uh, yeah. I live I live now right off Baker Street. So if the immersion wasn't total before, it now is. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. I, and I also know that I haven't read both through, through both of them, but I love the fact that Wilton's musical makes an appearance quite oh, early on. Yes, it in, does. In the three locks. And I thought, oh, it sounds like a local. <laughs> so just, I mean, tell us about yourself. So you're you're uh, from California originally in America. <laughs> Yes, I am. I'm from California and um, I grew up there and I've spent the last 35 or more years in the entertainment business. Um, I'm, I have degrees in, in uh, music and film. Those are my university degrees. And then I went to Hollywood and I began working as, at the studios as a story editor, which is pretty much like a book editor only for scripts. And I did notes and all the things we had in development. This was at Universal Studios. And uh, I did that for four years. And then I left to be a screenwriter and did that for a number of years. My first movie that I wrote that was that and was bought was Tron, movie Tron. And uh, then I after that I um, I started acting. <laughs> I did acting for a while, did quite a bit of theater. And then I ran a production company for 10 years, did a lot of documentary films. And then I had a life change and I one of those moments in life where you go like I really need to start doing the bucket list items <laughs> <laughs> and so the, there was really only one on my bucket list because I mostly do them and it was write a novel so I thought okay this is going to take me a year maybe two who do I want to sit in a room with all by myself for two years and it, it came to me it's like Sherlock Holmes there's nobody else <laughs> and and I thought, well, you know, this is not going to be commercial because there's so much of it out there and stuff. But I didn't care. It's like what I wanted to do. And it's my passion. I love this character and I've loved him since I was age 10. <laughs> so so that was it. Then I just started writing. And now I've um, so I did one book and HarperCollins bought it. Um, and then they turned it into a three book deal and then a five book deal. So um, the one you have in your hand, the three locks is number four. It just came out or it's coming out and 
April 1st, April Fool's Day. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm just kidding about all of this. <laughs> right. Well, well, I mean, yeah, when did it all go right? That's all I can say, really. I mean, <laughs> I know we'll be, uh, if you want to get in touch, of course, you can, as always, at radio at mavericktheatre.co.uk. Obviously, we're recording this in advance. And, of course, socially distanced. Yes, I know. I, I know. Although you seem very close. <laughs> Yes, I have moved in very close. Yeah. <laughs> the way I work my camera, don't you know? <laughs> so, what, I mean, let's go. Well, let's talk about Sherlock Holmes a bit. So, what is it? What is it about Sherlock Holmes? What what dragged you? What what attracted you to to the character? I love smart people. <laughs> <laughs> Just basically that. And he's an outsider. He's. Uh, He's a champion for justice, but he's a bohemian in, in fitting with your the theme of your show. He is a true bohemian. In fact, the word bohemian is used nine times in the canon, just so you know. But sometimes it's bohemian like from Bohemia, but frequently it's bohemian like Sherlock Holmes is bohemian. But anyway, so I, because he's, a, he's off kilter and he's an outsider and he's um, super smart, he's the books are hilariously funny <laughs> to me. They're just, they're... Their treasure, and then it also has, uh, I think, probably the best friendship in literature. Uh, he and Watson have this bond that is so inspiring. It's, it's like everybody would want a friend like Watson, or or want to be a friend like Watson. So just there's the combination of things, and then of course the 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 stories themselves have this very weird combination of being you know kind of outre and scary and gothic even and some and and then they have a cozy element because they always end up but around the fire at, at 221b you know you know you're going to have a happy ending but you have no idea how you're going to get there <laughs> and so this you know is just a delight and then there's another reason and that is that i like to write to form i like form challenges. So screenwriting is very uh, writing to form. Sonnets. I like to write sonnets. Um, I like. I just like the challenge of writing to form. And there are so many constraints in writing a Holmes story uh, that this just challenged me on a creative level uh, in a way that delights me. <laughs> in what sense? In what sense constraints? Because the, because of the characters? Well, uh, you have to deliver. Uh, there's a lot of expectation coming along when you when you present a book as being a traditional home story. First of all, Conan Doyle wrote 56 short stories, four novellas, but no full length novels. His novellas, the longest one is around 40,000 and novels are 80 to 120. So so the construction of those is different, but yet you have to deliver on a bunch of stuff that the readers expect. You've got to deliver the characters and their relationship and the humor. You've got to deliver really smart deductions. And here's something I decided early on, I was not going to cheat them. I was not going to go, oh, you know, I can see, you know, by the drape of your curtains that you've, you know, been in uh, France or something. I mean, this is you know, BS deductions as opposed to real ones, but real ones are hard. And so I, I, I thought these are going to be real. These are going to, and they're going to be surprising. So deductions, the friendship, the humor, and then the um, and then the, the delivery of the of the weird elements, the scary. I mean, it's really quite scary in places, and um, and then you know how he figures it out, and you don't know really kind of till the end. But no rabbits out of the hat because yeah. that's not fair. <laughs> yeah. uh, so so there's there's all those constraints, and then a further constraint 
is writing in the first person as Watson because he has to be in every scene. He's there and you have to have a reason for him to be there. And he can't be just watching. He has to participate, but he can't participate too much or it becomes the Watson story. So there's a fine line there. Uh, and then the fourth or the fourth biggest, biggest challenge of this stuff is to um, Conan Doyle created this environment and this you know, language, I guess, in a way. He did it in the form of short stories <clears throat> and sort of structurally, you know, short stories like a Japanese bridge over a stream. It starts and there's a middle and a climax and it ends. But uh, a novel is a long form. And so it's more like a uh, suspension bridge with a lot of pylons because if you don't, <laughs> it's not going to hold up. And so those pylons, sort of story-wise speaking, are, are, mo are great emotional turns, surprises, moments of action. In other words, you need these kind of elevating, kind of exciting things, and you need more of them in a novel. And then plus you need a, a general three-act, uh, you know, I, I believe, <laughs> that's my theory, uh, that you do need the three-act structure also. So, so, you know, there's a lot of, uh, all of this was in my head going in and then I have to kind of set that aside and, you know, make them speak <laughs> and make the story flow. But with those things kind of underneath. I was surprised, I, I, what I loved as well, in a sense, you almost don't need to be a Sherlock Holmes fan to enjoy these books. Oh, I mean, oh, I, oh really? Well, I, I very much like the, the sense, the very much the, <clears throat> excuse me, COVID recreation, uh, the, the sense of space and the fact that they almost instantly, you, you instantly latch on to what they're doing and where they're coming from. And of course, writing about, you know, a period of history. I quite liked your forward in this as well, which was a strange, that's a strange, nothing strange about it, but you write it as the forward is, is written as if you, the writer, have just had this story come to you 150 years after after yes. the prologue, I should say, right, which I'm holding up now for listening in stereo. <laughs> um, uh, yes, the mysterious woman going by the name of Lydia. I'm sure this. Uh, I'm sure that will pop up later on. So and it, I, it strikes me as well then that they, they. I mean, it sounds like a slog. <laughs> you know, it, no, I. It is Sherlock Holmes, perhaps. Yeah, I. But I love spending time with these two men. Yeah. And I also like, you know. Um, you do theater, so you know this, uh, that when you, sometimes you get cast as something that you feel like, this is nothing like me. How do I find this? Mm. Well, I love being in John Watson's head. <laughs> so, you know, behaving as him on the page and becoming him. And that is just extremely fun for me. <laughs> so that's and, one of the things. Yeah. And so did you, are you, are you one for structuring the books before you actually start writing? Uh, how, how, what's your process, if you don't mind me asking? Um, well, it's evolved a bit over the four books. Um, initially, the first draft of the first book was totally pantsed. I don't know if you have that. Do you have that expression here? Pants. Really. It means by fl flying by the seat of your pants. Yeah. Oh yes, yes. yes. You pants yeah. the thing. Meaning you just like start. Yeah. You don't know where it's going. I knew. I knew. I knew what the crime was, and I knew who did it. That's all I knew. I didn't know where they were going to go. How I was going to figure it out. What's going to happen? I didn't know any of that. And I. And it, it took me two years. And uh, I, I did the first draft of that one at, uh, through a NaNoWriMo. That's National Novel Writing Month. 
<clears throat> that's just a construct that started in San Francisco a number of years ago, and now it's worldwide. Yes, yes. you know about it. You yes, know? no, no, it's quite big in this country as well. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. So it's, it's basically you you sort of belch out <laughs> draft in thirty days. You know, and it's terrible because, but it has a beginning, middle, and end, and you come to the end, the end, <laughs> and then uh, you know. But it's a starting point because you can edit. You you can't edit blank pages. So yeah. it's it's a reasonable start, um, but but so if you start totally pantsing, then usually the, the amount, the number, and the amount of rewrites is formidable. So over the over the four books, I've developed something that's a little more of a hybrid process. <clears throat> it's still quite a bit of pantsing because that's where the freshness comes. Like I I don't know what they're going to say until they say it. I have no idea. <laughs> they just start talking. But but I, I know a little bit more going in. Um, I did know the, on the first book this. I did have a theme. One of the things I decided early on was, you know, um, crime fiction, you know, unfortunately it's called genre fiction, which is a belittling term, really. Um, and, but it's, it's really hard to do. So it's, it's, and also it has often has a lot of life lessons and kind of important stuff in it, but buried in a plot, <laughs> you know? And so it's, it's, um, it's overlooked in terms of that, but I, I believe uh, a novel length Holmes needs a theme, uh, you know, so that I'm not pretending that it's literature, but why not aim, you know? <laughs> uh, so, and also I feel like you have to, you have to give the reader a little more meat when you're giving a, a novel. So, yeah. so each of my four books has a, explores a theme and particularly how it connects to one or both of the two main characters and also some other characters in it. So the first book, Art in the Blood, is taken from a quote from the canon, from the original canon. Art in the Blood is liable to do the strangest things because uh, Holmes and his brother Mycroft are a little bohemian. <laughs> Even though Mycroft is the British government, and they're they're very unusual people, you know, and so um, so so basically, art in the blood because uh, their grandmother was the sister of the artist Vernet. So um, so I use that theme as if you have artistic if you have the artistic temperament. Um, what does that mean exactly? Uh, it means usually you're uh, sensitive, maybe more sensitive. Uh, means you are maybe emotionally volatile. Uh, it can mean you're flaky. And uh, in Victorian times, it sometimes meant you're gay. Uh, and it can mean all kinds of things. Um, but basically, to me, an artistic temperament is something that bestows gifts and, and some negative qualities. So the gifts are you notice details that others don't. And you can sense patterns where others see, you know, the trees, <laughs> whatever you see, you see, you can, you can distill, because if you think about like what the impressionists did with, you know, uh, countryside, you know, pastoral paintings, suddenly there were just immensely beautiful shapes and colors. So you distill um, and you are more sensitive probably. So all of these things go into detecting him and they all serve him as a detective. And the trade-off for this is basically emotional vulnerability. Uh, Holmes, we know, he basically is described in the canon as a manic depressive, what we would call manic depressive now, bipolar. Because he, he's, you know, he, he, in the middle of a case, he's like a maniac and he doesn't sleep and he doesn't eat and he just, and at the end of it, he sometimes collapses. And then he self-medicates with uh, cocaine and also occasionally morphine. So 
we know that he's got a mood disorder. I mean, he would be in, in you know, modern parlance. So, so this is to me the extreme example of the artistic temperament. So, so basically, the, the theme of that first book was, you know, what are the benefits and the and the risks of having this temp, this kind of temperament, which I found, you know, very fertile. Yeah, well, <laughs> for a writer as well, I suppose, for a creative or something with a with that with that similar temperament. I'm not obviously making any assertions when it comes to the morphine, but uh, <coughs> excuse me, but uh, yeah, it must be fascinating. And uh, I'm Nick Hennigan. This is Resonance 104.4 FM. Marvellous. It's literary London, both on Tut Wireless and on TutTube, on YouTube, on the Maverick Theatre YouTube, if you're looking. Hello. Uh, I'm talking to Bonnie McBird, who is the author of, well, this is number four of five Sherlock Holmes books. And rather jolly good it is too. It's called Three Locks, The Three Locks, The Three Locks is the current one. Um, now, I must, I've got to ask you about Tron, because otherwise I'll get lynched by probably Kath from California, who it listens, she's been listening for years, always says she listens on the beach. I'm not sure about that. But anyway, she's always listening on the beach. So hello, Catherine, California. And also uh, Pieter from Poland as well. Uh, he always asks, always asks the same question. He wants to know about the writing process as in, so yeah, what is your writing process? We, we must talk about Tron as well, but but what's your kind of daily, so you've got, you know, you've got a brilliant thing as a writer, I'm, you know, I'm sure we all appreciate to have that commission as well, obviously well-deserved and all that. So what, what's your kind of daily process? Are you you're a five-day-a-week writer? Do you binge? What software do you use, for instance? Um, well, I'm a seven-day-a-week writer. Yeah. And uh, I do it first thing when I get up, coffee, then write. And I write to word count as opposed to time. Although if I get stuck, sometimes I'll switch that up. Um, yeah. But generally speaking, I write to word count. Uh, and, your, do you have a daily word? A daily word count? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it will vary. I will always do a thousand. And sometimes my word count will be 2,500. But what it is, is I use a program called Scrivener. Yeah. And so I set a target date for the for the draft, and then I have a rough a rough idea of the length, and that might shift as I as I'm going along. I might go, oh, this is going to be a little bit longer, uh, this is going to be a little shorter, because um, I mean the book the books the four books range. One is 85. I think that's the shortest, and the longest is 125 or something. So so I start to feel as the story you know goes like so I get a word count goal. And then I have a date that I'd like to have this draft done by. And then it, it calculates for me how many words I have to get done a day. If, and if it'll tell you, and you can adjust that. I'm going to work five days a week, six days a week, seven, and it'll recalculate for you. Um, but I work to word count because um, it guarantees progress. And sometimes the word count will take me an hour, an hour and a half, and it, but usually not. Usually it takes me three or four. And sometimes it takes me eight or nine. Yeah. And I just do it. And so I, I just do it no matter what. And I don't wait for the muse because I don't know where she is. <laughs> <laughs> just sit down. Just yeah, she would touch a cow sometimes, that muse, I tell you. <laughs> yeah, where is she? <laughs> what are you wearing today? What? Uh, anyway, so it's like, yeah, I know. It's just kind of like, you just got to go. And, um, and then I also disregard what I think of what I'm writing while I'm write, drafting because um, it's never accurate. And sometimes I think, oh, it's just utter awfulness. I'm not going to say a swear word. <laughs> but, 
just yeah. utter awful stuff. And, <laughs> and then I come back the next day, it's like, oh, oh that wasn't so bad. Now I had to fix this little thing, but actually it's quite good. You know, so you never know and you really, you needn't know. You just need yeah. to press on. And there, there is a time to be editorial and to be, you know, critical, but it's not in the drafting phase. So you, you subscribe to the philosophy of don't get it right, get it writ. <laughs> Which is yeah, first draft, first draft, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And then the other thing is, is, and this is really, really crucial and something uh, I, t I taught writing for 11 years at UCLA Extension. I forgot to mention that also. And um, one of the things I, I tell my students is to gather a group of similarly gifted and motivated people and form a crit group. And uh, I have two actually uh, that I work with and I run my pages by them every week. We all do that and we crit each other's and like, ooh, tough, 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 but nicely tough. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so, so these things go through the ringer um, and they go through the ringer while I'm drafting, you know, I'll, I'll uh, bring in stuff that's a few, a few sessions behind where I'm at on the, on the page right then. And so I don't, go back and do giant rewrites while I'm pressing forward, but I will sometimes go back a little. And every day I go back and read the day before, make a few little things and then press on. Like, it's like diving off a diving board. You know, it's like running up, <laughs> just dive. You know, don't, don't spend too much time stand, bouncing on the diving board. So, so, uh, but, but I use these crit groups and then when I'm done, I read it uh, aloud and then, <laughs> I actually go to a final person before I turn it into my publisher. I use a very talented man in New York who reads it and gives me, you know, hell about it. Um, he's very tough, but he's very good. But usually by that time, it's pretty bulletproof. So he's been quite pleased that he's not getting, <laughs> you know, somebody's beginning draft. So, so I, I, I'm kind of a super diligent about it. Yeah, and it's. Uh, I mean, obviously, if you, you've been doing it for for a while, I, I can't believe you've been around for so long. Actually, my dear, but anyway, that's just me being flattery. And you'll see if you listen on YouTube, if you're watching. Um, and so Tron, so Tron's. I mean, legendary. Where, where did where did that come from? And and the Hollywood thing. Oh, uh, okay. Well, I I um my master's degree was in film, and I I intended to go to Hollywood, and I thought I wanted to produce. But I quickly realized I wanted to do the creative stuff and not <clears throat> the producing is, um, well, you know what it is. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. produce, don't you? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I have. <laughs> yes, it's yeah. hard work and it's organizational, yeah. it's managerial, it's money and it's, you know, it's, it's uh, the decider. <laughs> yes, anyway, yes. So I'm so not a very good producer, but anyway. <laughs> it's, it's hard. It's hard. It's yeah. marketing. It's a lot of things. Anyway, so I, um, I, got this job as at Universal and I was being a story editor, which I enjoyed because that's creative, but but I ended up finding myself on the phone all day long about other people's movies. And it's like, I want to make a movie. I don't want to just be talking about other people's movies all yeah. the time. I wanted I want to do one. And so this guy came to the studio and we were working together on a project called Lightning. He was a he was a young animator out of Boston and we had a couple of ideas together and he, he had a special effect that made lightning look good. And the person we were working with was the guy who did sense around and uh, earthquake. And yeah, so I remember that. that. 
-hmm. And he was looking for the next big special effects thing. And so he thought lightning would be it, but they didn't have a story. So they brought me in to try to make a story happen with lightning. And so anyway, we hit it off. We left the studio together and formed this company. We we're going to do two films. One of them was going to be Tron. And it happened that one of the things I did for Universal was I covered theater for them. And I covered the comedy scene, which was very hot at that time. And I one, one night I went to see a young comic uh, and he was upstairs in a little room with linoleum floors and fluorescent lights over a gas station. He had a cardboard box with hats and he mesmerized the audience. It was Robin Williams. Oh, and yeah, yeah, so I was way before anybody knew about him. And I saw him and I thought, oh, my God, <laughs> this man. And I went back to the studio and I said, this man, get this man, get him now. And they didn't listen to me. And they didn't listen to me. And that is one of the reasons I left. And I thought, well, I'm going to write a movie for this man. So I wrote the original drafts of Tron for with Robin Williams in my head. And to this day, I love I, I write theater also to this day. I love to write for actors. I love to have a, an actor in my head and write, yeah. write to write for them. <laughs> yeah, well, Robin Williams, what a fan. It's a yeah. bit like the man who turned down the Beatles or the record <laughs> company that turned down the Beatles. And Robin, yeah, I mean, what, what a, Robin, a, a I know, sad, they, brilliant, sad talent. I know, he was just an amazing <clears throat> man. I mean, even with nothing, you know, in a box of hats in a little room, you know, I just, yeah. he just. That's at the end of the festival, really. Actually, well, I stayed in Arthur Conan Dial's flats. That's my claim to fame. Where, yeah, we could talk forever on, is it? Wait, is, just, is this in Edinburgh during the Fringe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a, he had a flat over the, uh, I mean, he wasn't there at the time. It was 1992. I wrote his version of Shakespeare's Henry V. He got picked up by a, by a, by a, comedy promoter actually and uh, it, although it wasn't a comedy and they put us up in this uh, Edinburgh Festival and I'd not been there before I didn't know what it was all about but we were actually in the flat that used to belong to Conan Doyle apparently which is rather oh, lovely yeah nice I, I did the fringe like. one year also I did, oh, did you yeah, yeah. Well, you've done it a few times recently I mean it's fun it's so fun yeah I mean, who knows what's going to happen this year with the current situation yeah um, but uh, well I think they just cancelled it I, I believe they just cancelled it yeah I think I can't see it's going to happen in, it, it didn't happen last year um I got yeah. two or three productions that we were going to take up there but oh my yeah, yeah. I know, I know. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, anyway, it's, it's lovely up there. And yeah, well, I, 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 we might we might have a little session up there again this year if it's uh, the virtual thing happens. But I mean, we could say so you must come back. Actually, we do it again when you put your next book out. <laughs> right. got, we haven't really talked about Hollywood. I want to know how you got into the university as well and your background. But well, perhaps because we've run out of time again. Um, so thank you very much. Bonnie McBird. The book is called The Three Locks, available from all good booksellers. And it's published by, uh, it was published by uh, someone really famous. HarperCollins. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Published by HarperCollins. I love you, HarperCollins. Um, uh, available from all good bookshops. Um, and thank you so much for coming in and having Thank a chat. you. Thank you for um, having me. Say, you must come back when the next book. How long? Two years. Well, Inshallah. Well, I, have, I, have, I have a theatre thing in the works, so maybe for that. Yeah, oh, we'll talk about that as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, and as always, if you'd like to get in touch, you can do. It's uh, probably easiest to email at radio at mavericktheatre.co.uk. Uh, that's it for this time. Uh, thanks very much again. If you're watching, you. we'll wave now. If you're watching on the Maverick Theatre 
dot com. No, anyway, Maverick Theatre YouTube channel. <laughs> oh, okay, great. Okay. sort of uh, mixed up. Uh, and of course, this will also be on the London Literary Pub Crawl uh, channel because we need to talk okay. about London and your love of London. So you must definitely come back. But oh, for now, thank you very much again, Bonnie McBird. I'm Nick Hennigan. This is Literary London on Resonance 104.4 FM. Thank you.